All right, good morning and uh, welcome. Uh, so good to see uh, you all here this morning. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Acts chapter 6. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 6. And as we come to Acts chapter 6 uh, in our sermon series, Total Church, uh, remember, if you remember at the outset of the sermon series, we broke the, uh, the book out into four uh, distinct, distinct subsets. And so we started with the church initiated, really the infancy uh, of the church. And here we come to a pivot point in Acts 6. Uh, we come to a pivot point in the book of Acts and really come into that next uh, stage of uh, the book or phase of the book. And so we've titled it The Church Ignited. Uh, the church ignited, and so still part of total church, uh, but moving from the church initiated now to the church uh, ignited, and moving out of the infancy of the church, and really into the ignition of the church, and this uh, much more uh, expansive, uh, much larger role uh, that the church plays uh, in society, and uh, the gospel going forward, not simply in Jerusalem, but uh, being spread out into other parts uh, of the world. So uh, here's what I want to do before we go any further. I want to pray. Uh, as always, we'll pray for uh, another pastor uh, in town, as well as for our uh, offering and for our time together in God's word. Why don't you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before you. We uh, thank you that you are the God uh, of the universe, that you hold all things in your hands, uh, that God, nothing is too great for you. Nothing's too big for you. Nothing's too large for you. Uh, you are um, the God who rules and reigns supreme. And as we uh, come before you now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would uh, make known to us the truth of uh, your word. Uh, but God, not only for us, we pay, pray for uh, Pastor Carlos Griegos and for Redemption Church here in Rio Rancho. God, we pray for them that uh, your hand would be uh, at work and moving in that body of believers as well. God, for us, as we, um, <clears throat> as we give as we give just a small portion of all that you've given to us, we pray that, uh, that you would be honored in our giving. And now as we, <clears throat> as we open your word, Lord, would you cause us to see what you want us to see? Would your spirit have the freedom to do as you uh, long to do within us? Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you and just pray this all uh, in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, just the first seven verses here uh, this morning. Here's uh, what Luke writes to us. He says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now here, coming to uh, this particular uh, passage, this particular text, one of the questions that, that I will um, 
uh, always wrestle with uh, in, in terms of uh, sermon preparation, and, and not only in sermon preparation, but just in reading the scriptures. I think a, a question that all of us should uh, wrestle with and, and, and struggle through is this question in the, in the generic sense, is what is the author telling us? What is it that the uh, author wants us to hear? More specifically, in, in Acts chapter 6, as Luke is writing this to his friend Theophilus, what is it that Luke wants to communicate to him? What is it that Luke wants to tell him uh, here in this? And so what I want to do, I want to take a moment and really just begin to unpack that a little bit, and then we'll begin to preach uh, through the text. Because oftentimes, what, what at least my experience in terms of how I've seen this text preached and how I've seen it taught is usually what people do is they say, oh, look, it's, this is the beginning of the ministry of deacons in the church. And so they preach about deacons and maybe go to First Timothy uh, 3 or Titus 1, and they talk about maybe service or how to serve one another and things of that nature. And yet I would ask you, is that what Luke is talking about here? Is that what Luke really wants us to hear? And, and if you step back for a moment, right, and let the, the, the larger context of the book of Acts begin to fill that out, uh, it becomes harder and harder to arrive at that conclusion, right? Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the, uh, the apostles, hey, I'm leaving, and I want you to wait for the Spirit, and when He comes, He'll, um, he'll, he'll give you power, he'll, he'll, uh, His power will come upon you. Acts 2, the Spirit shows up. The, the, uh, the apostles uh, have the power of the Spirit now dwelling inside of them. We have the day of Pentecost. We have Peter's sermon there. Uh, Acts 3, 4, and 5, we see this uh, miracle take place. And then uh, the, this, this proclamation and, and then the response to the proclamation. We see that uh, a number of times. Usually uh, persecution is what we've seen. And we'll talk a little more about that here uh, in a moment. But that's, that's really uh, what we see in the first five chapters. So you come to Acts chapter 6, it doesn't really seem that, okay, now Luke's going to start telling us about deacons, uh, because what we see after this is he uh, tells us about Stephen uh, and Stephen's uh, great speech, and then what, which ultimately cost him his life. Uh, we see Philip and, and him going out with the gospel, and then we're introduced uh, in the middle of that to a guy named Saul, and then we see Saul's conversion in chapter 9, and the gospel continue to go forward from there. And so from a contextual standpoint, it doesn't really seem to make sense that he's talking Talking about deacons. Uh, furthermore, the, from, from a human perspective, the focal point of, of Acts up until this point has been Peter. We, we all know it's truly the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, it's God himself. But from a human perspective, most of the emphasis has, has been fixated around the apostles, specifically Peter. And one of, the, one of the reasons I believe this is a transition point in the book of Acts is now we move away from the apostles and we move towards a, a more expansive role. In fact, you should note that um, outside of the passing reference to the apostles here in chapter 6, um, at the end of chapter 9 through chapter 12, and then again in chapter 15, we see the apostles mentioned. But that's it for the rest of, of the book of Acts. The majority of what we're going to look at, and really the majority of the whole of the book of Acts, isn't fixated around the apostles from a human perspective. It's fixated around others. See, I think what Luke is really driving us to, what Luke wants to tell us, what Luke wants us to hear, what he wants us to see is that kingdom work, that building the church, if we were to boil that down into a word, that ministry, what Luke wants us to know is that ministry isn't for a select few. It's not just for the elite. It's, just, it's not just for the cream of the crop, but it's for the entire community of faith. And what he's after, he's describing a community of believers where everyone participates, where they're engaged and they're functioning to see the kingdom built. 
And so the title of the message this morning is Fulfill Your Ministry. All right? Fulfill your ministry. Do the thing that God has called you to do. Now, when we think about fulfilling our ministry, when we think about um, our, our particular role, our particular participation in building the kingdom of God, uh, there's a saying that maybe many of you are familiar with. You ever heard of the 80-20 principle in church? Right? Show, show hands. How many people heard that before? Right? Most, if not all of you, have your hands raised. It's 80% of the people do 20% of the right work. And it's easy, right? It's easy to say, well, Mike, that's easy for you to talk about. That's easy for you um, to begin to, 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 to get fired up about or tell us to change. But you get paid for that, man. That's your job. So it's easy to tell other people to come help you. Now, listen, listen, listen. While it's true that I find my profession in ministry, we would be uh, quite wrong in thinking that we're not all called to serve or have a responsibility in ministry. Do you see the distinction between the two? That, that, that I happen to find my profession also in what God calls us to. I'm incredibly thankful for that. Don't miss that. But that's very, very different than um, uh, th- th- this idea that because I get paid to do it, then I have to do it. But if you don't get paid, you don't have to do it. Because the scriptures don't let us go there. Right, First Peter 2, he talks about the priesthood of every believer. We'll see that fleshed out later as we move uh, through this. In First Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the body and the, and the various parts of the body and how they all work together and how they're all needed and necessary for the body to do all that the body is meant to do. And if you've ever had a particular part of your body that's been uh, injured or compromised for a season, you know exactly uh, how difficult it is uh, to function uh, fully when one part of your body doesn't really work. Uh, Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, he says that God gave some gifts, right? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers, right? God gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? The wholeness or the fullness of what um, God is, is calling the church to. And so we think about fulfill your ministry, okay? Framed in this way. Let's now just begin to preach through this text here. Uh, fulfill your ministry. Uh, three things, three things. There are really two things, and we'll use the third one by way of conclusion uh, here this morning. But here's, here's the first. Uh, here's the first we see. Um, and in, in talking about fulfilling your ministry, we have to embrace the tension of ministry. Embracing the tension of ministry. Now, look at verse 1. We see two things shown up in verse 1. Here's the first. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, so one thing is disciples are increasing. A uh, second thing is where Luke begins to tell us, hey, there's an issue with uh, the, um, the, the widows and the distribution of what's taking place. And so notice two things. Here's, here's the first. This might surprise you a little bit as you look just at uh, chapter 6, verse 1, but we want to embrace the tension of ministry. Here's the first thing we see. We have to be willing to embrace the proclamation, persecution, perseverance cycle. Let me say that again. 
If we're going to embrace the tension of ministry, we have to embrace the proclamation, persecution, perseverance cycle. In fact, this is something that we see repeatedly in Acts. We've already seen this psalm in chapters 3, 4, and 5. Uh, we're going to see it uh, again here in a moment. We'll see it in chapter 6 and 7 with Stephen. We'll see it in chapter 8 with Philip. We'll see it in chapter 9 with um, Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. We see it in chapters 13 and 14. Um, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas in prison. And on and on and on. We see this cycle. Luke comes back to this constantly uh, in the book of Acts. Let me just show it to you here. So you can see this in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read through the scriptures and I see the, the, the subtitles and I see the chapter breaks, sometimes my mind just thinks, okay, new thought, new thing. Uh, but when Luke wrote this, there were no uh, uh, subtitles or subheadings. There were no chapter breaks. It was one letter. And so why we want to see things in context and, and understanding what Luke's getting at. So let me do this here for a moment. Jump back to verse 40 of chapter 5. And if you remember uh, from last week, uh, <clears throat> where, where the, the apostles continued to preach, the religious leaders kept saying, stop teaching in this name. And, and then Gamaliel comes in and, and he says, listen, guys, here's, here's how I think you should handle this. Um, if these guys aren't from God, it's going to fizzle out. But if they are from God, you're not going to be able to stop them. Either way, you're wasting your time is really what he gets at. And so it, the, what started in proclamation then moved to persecution, a persecution both in their imprisonment, and then check this out, verse 40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. There's the persecution. Not only were they imprisoned, but they were beat. Check out this response, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I love that. Just love that. Counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I wonder how many of us need to be challenged by that simple truth this morning. And then this. So we've seen the proclamation. We've seen the persecution. See, here's the perseverance. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, they persevered. They kept going. Right? They didn't cease to teach and preach. Now, they, they, they could have stopped there. How easy it would have been. And I think all of us would have said, hey, you know, we, we get why you want to back off. It's, it's, it's coming at a great cost to you guys. That's fine. You go ahead and step away from that. But they didn't do that. Okay, so why, 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 why make such a big deal of this? Why um, uh, harp on this? Well, here's why. Because now, with that as the framework, proclamation, persecution, perseverance, that's how we have to read uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, they weren't just magically increasing in number out of nowhere. It was tied to something. It was tied to the perseverance of the saints continuing and pushing and pressing forward. See, we, we have to see perseverance linked with what I would call ministry fruitfulness. It's ministry fruitfulness, right? Embracing the tension of ministry, we have to embrace the proclamation, persecution, and perseverance. We have to embrace that cycle. And we're going to see that over and over again in Acts, as I've already mentioned, because that's where the ministry fruitfulness is. Now, why, why make such a big deal? Why, 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 why go on and on about this? Well, here's why, loved ones. Because far too often, far too often, the moment that persecution shows up, you and I, we bail, we're out. It gets too heavy, it gets too weighty, it gets too difficult, it gets too harsh. And so we just we walk away, I'm done. I'm, I'm not willing to push on, I'm not willing to press forward. 
But see, where we have to recognize and realize that in the perseverance, that's where the ministry fruitfulness shows up. And so just, just ask yourself right here, right now, in this moment, are there areas in my life, listen, 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 are there areas in my life where I need to persevere? Are there areas in my life where I, I want to I quit, I want to stop, I want to be done, I just, I mean, I just want to walk away from it? Some of you, some of you need to be encouraged because all you see is the persecution. All you see is the struggle. All you see is the hardship. You, you, you don't think, you don't see, you can't possibly fathom that ministry fruitfulness is coming. You just see that long, hard road in front of you. You ever, you ever, been, on, you ever been on a road trip that seems like it's never going to end? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's just, it's like destination 8 million miles away. And it's like, oh, been in the car for forever. And, and we're never going to get there. And when is this going to be over? And what happens? Right? You just keep plugging along. You keep plugging along, keep plugging along. And we're never going to get there. And we're never going to get there. And we're never going to get there. And all of a sudden, what happens? At some point in time, you look out your window and, and what are you saying? <laughs> right. Oh, we're here. See, perseverance and ministry fruitfulness are a lot like that. Where you just keep pushing, you just keep pressing. And where some of you, where you need to see that in, in the struggle, in the hardship, in the persecution, in the opposition, where if you would just persevere, if you would just keep going, ministry fruitfulness is up ahead. Embracing the tension of ministry, uh, the proclamation, persecution, perseverance cycle. Notice then this secondly, um, as a pastor, I got to tell you that I just, um, I can't help but chuckle when I read this next line. <clears throat> I, I love the New American Standard where it says, a complaint arose. A complaint arose. I just kind of chuckle and all I can think to myself is, well, some things never change. Right? Doesn't matter if things are good. Doesn't matter if there's ministry of fruitfulness. The disciples are increasing and what? Somebody's still unhappy. Okay? Uh, the church has always been like that. Uh, maybe some freedom for some of us to, uh, not, there's, certain, there's not freedom for you to keep complaining, okay? But just freedom to know that, that there's going to be this, right? There's issues in ministry. Right? That, that, that's really what he's, he's telling us here. Listen, there's always issues. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now we could, there's all kinds of things that we could get at here and, and go on in regards to this. Uh, suffice to say, there's a discrepancy in the distribution and it's caused uh, the, the, this real um, heartburn and frustration. There's issues in ministry. Okay? That's what it just boils down to. There's issues in ministry. Now sometimes, sometimes what people say or what they think, or what they want to talk about is, man, I, like I, I want... I, I, I want ministry fruitfulness, man. I want to serve and I want to work, but I don't want to deal with the issues. I, I, I don't want to deal with the difficulty. I don't want to deal with the struggle. I don't want to deal with the hardships. I don't want to deal with those. I, and I would just say to you, well, if you can find a ministry to robots, then you can have that. Um, you, you could put those things together, okay? But if you're going to minister to people, if you're going to minister to broken, fallen sinners, uh, then you are wasting your time. See, we all like it when things are going well. We all like it when there's no messes to deal with, when there's no problems. But I love the wisdom, the wisdom that's found in, in Proverbs 14.4. Check this out. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. I mean, you kind of listen to that. You're like, that sounds kind of nice. I, there's no, no maintenance. I don't have to clean up. I don't have to feed the animal. I have to take care of it. Like, it's just clean. Okay, well, it sounds good. But you know, even let me finish reading the proverb here. Let me finish this here. 
where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You hear what he's saying there? You, you, you hear the wisdom in that proverb? He's like, listen, if you want cleanliness, not, not, in, not in a purity sense, but if you want cleanliness, if you want order, if you don't want any issues, you're going to forfeit fruitfulness. And if you want fruitfulness, if you want abundance, then you've got to forfeit the cleanliness or the order. But if we want fruitful ministry, we have to be willing to get our hands dirty. I love this saying that I came across a while ago. Uh, someone had said the harvest, okay, harvest happens in the dirty fields of the valley, not on the crisp, clean surroundings of the mountaintop. Let me just say that again. Harvest happens in the dirty fields of the valley, not on the crisp, clean surroundings of the mountaintop. I was listening to an interview that they were doing with a Navy SEAL probably about a year ago. Um, listening on the radio and they were interviewing this guy and they are just saying, hey, how, do you, how do you guys handle all the stress and the tension and the various issues that you undoubtedly um, come across? How, how, do you guys, how do you guys handle that? How do you keep your mind about you? How do you, how do you still operate it in the midst of all that stuff? And the guy just sat there quietly for a moment. He goes, you know, as a Navy SEAL, you learn very quickly to become comfortable while being uncomfortable. And the moment, man, the moment that he said that, I'm like, that's ministry. That's biblical, God-honoring ministry is that you learn to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And there's issues in ministry. There's issues in ministry. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised by this. What else would you expect when you have broken, fallen sinners walking side by side with broken, fallen sinners? I mean, there's no, no doubt there's going to be issues. No doubt there's going to be struggles. But listen, fulfill your ministry. First, by embracing the tension of ministry. All right, secondly, here's what we see in verses 2 through 6, really the heart of um, where we're going for uh, of what we're at here today. Do the work that God has for you. Are right, you going to fulfill your ministry, embrace the tension of ministry, first of all, okay, just understanding there's going to be some hardships and struggles in this. There's going to be issues. And then second of all, do the work that God has for you. Now look at what the, the apostles say here in verse 3 um, and, and 4, or sorry, verse 2, 3, and 4. Uh, so, so this issue comes up about the widows. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, not all about you, but at a casual glance, you read that and you're like, man, that's kind of harsh and that's uh, fairly condescending and, and, and just kind of cutting. Well, well, what's wrong with those guys? But notice what they go on and say. They say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so what, at, at, at first glance, a casual glance seems kind of harsh or um, 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 just kind of blunt. Uh, <clears throat> really, when you start diving into this, um, for me, one of the things that, that I, I just love and appreciate here is the freedom that the apostles have to say, listen, that's not what God created us for. See, they're free to, to be clear and honest and candid because they're willing to own what God has for them but they're also willing to release what God doesn't have for them, right? And, and, and God help us that, that we would embrace this truth where I'm going to do the work that God has for me. I'm going to do the things that God has for me, that he's built me for, that he's wired me for, that he's equipped me for. And I'm going to be done worrying about the work that he has for someone else. 
I'm going to, I'm going to just do the work that God has for me. I'm going to do the work that God has for you. And I'm not going to worry about the work that God has for others. Now, what's the problem? What's the problem for so many of us? Right? We start looking around and we go, well, I want to do the work that he's doing. I want to have the ministry that she has. I'll do the work that God has for me, but I kind of want to do their work too. No, no, do the work that God has for you. Now, sometimes, sometimes this gets a little complicated because um, all, all, most of us, right, most of us, we understand, hey, there's things that I'm good at and there's things that I'm not good at. But every once in a while, you come across that, that person who can seemingly do everything. You know what I'm talking about? Well, those, don't those people just drive you crazy? They can do everything. It's like, man, they're, they're super intelligent and they're super artistic and, and they play musical instruments and they're great athletes and they seem like the perfect parent and they're the most amazing husband or wife and they're the best child. And it's like, it's almost nauseating because they're just so good at everything. And sometimes we look at people like that and we go, well, I want to be like that person. Okay, well, let me just cut straight here for a moment. If God wanted you to be able to do everything, he would have made you to be able to do everything. But for most of us in the room, maybe all of us in the room, he didn't. So do the work that God has for you. Quit worrying about the work that God doesn't have for you. Because the fascinating thing, even those people who seemingly can do everything, they all have weak spots. Yeah, maybe they're really good at sports and science and, and, and parenting. But it's like, then you realize it's like, you, you can't drive and you can't garden and you can't, there's other things that they're just terrible at which is kind of refreshing, right? But hey, you're just, you're not good at everything. And inevitably, it's kind of nice when they say something that they're not good at, but you're good at. It's kind of like, yeah, well, take that. You can't garden just because you can do everything else. Okay, but this idea, do the work that God has for you. So notice this, first of all, in verses two and three, here's the first thing that we see is participation in ministry, right? There's a participation in ministry. And notice what they say. The, the apostles, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And see, see, notice what the apostles are saying. They're saying, listen, uh, we have certain gifts. We have certain roles. We have certain callings and responsibilities. And so do you. We're going to do the things that God has for us. You're going to do the things that God has for you. And we're all going to participate in ministry. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Right, notice the emphasis here is not on which is better, but it, the emphasis is on how we are to be engaged in kingdom work and who is equipped to do each task. The apostles are saying, hey, listen, A, B, and C, we do that really, really well. That's us. That's what God called us to. We're going to keep doing that. Uh, but D, E, and F, eh, that's, not really, that's not really our wheelhouse. We're not very good at that. But I guarantee you there are people that are. So let's have those people do these things. And so the apostles are saying, we're going to participate in this way. Uh, you all are going to participate in this way. Do what God has for you. Do the work that God has for you. What he's put into you, do that. I just encourage you. I would just encourage you in this moment to just simply be yourself and quit trying to be someone else. One of the things, one of the things that, that I find so um, grievous and so saddening and disheartening is when people will disparage and discount the giftedness that God has put into them as if it's second rate or inferior or second class. You know what I'm talking about? 
I only have the gift of blank and blank. I don't have any good gifts. I don't have any meaningful gifts. I don't have any powerful gifts. I just have... They're all simply gifts. They're all given to us by God, um, for God, to point people to God. Can we, can, we, can we be done? Can we be done acting as if some gifts are better than others? Can we be done disparaging and discrediting all that God has put into us? And can we just come to the place where whatever God, whatever, the, whatever work God has for us, we would begin to participate in ministry, or we would get off the couch, we would uh, uh, get in the game and begin to participate. It's time to start. Secondly, tied to that, very uh, similar to that, <clears throat> As we see a sharing in ministry, it's not just a participation, but there's also this sharing that goes on, right? Verse three, pick out from among you these seven men. Uh, verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See, I, one of the things that I love is the apostles, they're, they're like, we're not even going to try to do that. We can't do that. We can't handle that. We're not good at that. We're not equipped for that. Go find seven people that are. And this sharing in ministry and, 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 and right where they're not going to rob someone from doing the thing that God has equipped them to do. And they're not going to be distracted from the thing that God has called them to do. I think, I think we've all met that guy or that gal that, that, that thinks that they have every spiritual gift. You know what I'm talking about? And like, no, I've got them all. And, and I have to be the leader and I have to be the servant and I have to be the communicator. And I, right, it's like every single thing. And I've, I've never met anyone who likes working with that person. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I love being surrounded by people who do things really well that I do really poorly. And see, I, I see this play out every single week in my life. Um, because th- there are a number of people that are really, really important to the ministry of this church, and there's a number of people that mean an awful lot to me. Uh, but one of the people that, that, that is uh, maybe one of the most substantial, most critical for me, uh, is my administrative assistant, assistant Liz Smith. And, and y- you got to understand, um, well, Liz is kind of one of those annoying people that does a lot of things really well. I don't know that she has a weakness, all right? Uh, so that's kind of frustrating to have to deal with and be confronted with my own inadequacy all the time. Um, but, but, but see, the things that Liz really excels at are things that I'm just terrible at. And so, so I am regularly, regularly thankful that God puts people into my life who are good at the things that I'm not good at. And we did this personality um, testing thing a number of months ago, and, I, and, and Liz and I were cracking up, because if you looked at my test and her test, it'd be like if you ripped something in half, and on, on one side, it's like, okay, here are all the things. It, it, it was like, okay, here's all the things that Liz does, and it kind of like, and you don't really do any of these things. And of course, I had nothing up top, but everything I did was down below, and you put it together, and I was like, oh, that's a really good fit. See, because there's a sharing in ministry. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. You do the thing that you're good at, and you let the other people that you're not any good at, but you let them do that, the people who are gifted at that, the people that are good at that. I'm always um, so thankful for the people who are so uh, empathetic and compassionate and merciful. Because I don't know the first thing about those things. And those people tend to be thankful because they're like, hey, you know what? I'm thankful that you can lead and I'm thankful that you can teach because that's, that's not my wheelhouse. And we're both thankful for others who can administrate 
and who are organized and can keep us on task and see there's that sharing in ministry that shows up and how we need one another. Right? Do, for, do um, what God has given me to do. Release what he hasn't. See, when this sharing happens, there's this great fulfillment uh, that we're um, each getting to do what God has called us to do. But we're also freed from not trying to do what we have no business even trying to do. Do the work that God has for you, participation in ministry, sharing in ministry, and really that is driving at Luke's emphasis in the theological concept that I think shows up uh, all over the New Testament. I just wrote this down, the priesthood of every believer the priesthood of every believer in this transition that takes place in the beginning of chapter 6, moving away from um, this small select group to the empowering of the entire community of faith. Now look at, look at these seven names. Seven names in verse 5. Well, they said, please the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had to describe me in a sentence, I would take the sentence that describes Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many people would like to be described that way? Oh yeah, you know, Mike, that guy who's full of faith and the Holy Spirit, I'd be all about that being uh, the descriptor for me. Keep in mind, not an apostle, not one of the twelve, wasn't present at the transfiguration. I just, just, just a guy, a normal guy, and then these other six, Philip and uh, Stephen and Philip, we know some about. We see them really from uh, starting in verse 8 through, or really here in verse 5 through the end of chapter 8. And then we, don't, we, we see Philip's name one more time uh, later in the book of Acts. But then the rest of these guys, this is the only time we see them mentioned in the entirety of this book. But notice a couple things about them. Um, one, none of them are apostles. Uh, they all have Greek names. Now, it's entirely possible that they were um, just simply uh, uh, Greeks who were Jewish. But, but of this last guy, Nicholas, why we recognize he's a proselyte of Antioch. This guy probably wasn't even Jewish and first was converted as a Jew and then eventually as a believer. And so all these things, these very normal individuals, and yet entrusted with substantial ministry. See, it's the priesthood of every believer. In 1 Peter 2, Peter tells us about this truth. And what he's getting at, what he's saying, is that every believer, every true follower of Jesus is a priest. Now, some of you, if you don't have some Old Testament understanding, you might go, okay, well, um, so am I a pastor or a priest? I thought those guys tended to be like Catholic. What does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, here's, here's what it means. In the Old Testament, the priest was the go-between of God and man. They were the intermediary who connected the people with God himself. It was reserved for a very select few. And when Jesus came, and when he died in your place, and he died in my place, and the veil was torn, or the curtain was torn, see, it opened the door where all of us are priests. All of us function as the intermediary between God and mankind. All of us have the ability to access the God of the universe at the drop of a hat. That's what it means to be the priesthood of every believer. And so what I'm saying is, I get that my, my profession is found in ministry, but what we were saying at the outset, all of us, all of us, all of us have a great weight and responsibility and calling in ministry. I might have the professional title of pastor, 
But in a functional sense, all of us should be playing that out to, the, to a lost and broken world around us. It's the priesthood of every believer. And long before Peter ever penned that theological truth, it was taking place and, and, and being fulfilled in the early church. Let me just ask you right now. Do you know that you're a priest? Do you see yourself? Do you recognize that you are an intermediary between God and man? If you want to talk New Testament lingo, we would call you a missionary. Do you realize that? Do you see that? Are you, are you locked in on that? That you're employed in the service of the king? Maybe some of you have been distracted by that. You've got something else that's consuming your heart or your mind or your affection or whatnot. And maybe you've lost sight of that and it's time to come back. Maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, it's not that you've lost sight of it. It's the truth is you're like, (laughs) you might be a priest. The person sitting next to me might be a priest. I'm not a priest. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I don't know enough. When the redemption of Jesus enters into your life, his righteousness, his sufficiency, and his Power is what comes forth from you and I. It's not about your qualifications. It's not about how good you are or you aren't. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so if God looking down upon you, uh, recognizing the righteousness of Christ that covers you, if he says that you are a priest, then tell me, loved ones, what are you? You're a priest. At the priesthood of every believer, that every single one of us would have a substantial role. Or it's time. It's time to fulfill our ministry. Now, Luke takes this tiny little thing and he pivots the rest of the book of Acts. And like I said at the outset, moving forward, you hear almost nothing about the rest of the apostles. Peter shows up in the end of chapter 9. Um, he's freed from prison in chapter 12. James is killed in chapter 12. They all have some input at the Jerusalem Council. That's it. And then the rest of the book of Acts is comp- comprised of individuals, none of whom are the apostles, none of whom um, were, were, were the, the guys that were tightest with Jesus in his earthly ministry, but employed into the service of the king. And see, the same should be true for you and I. I do the work that God has for you. And here, verse 7, let's just use verse 7 really as a conclusion and a close to our time here. It says this, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And in the same way that when we started with the perseverance of the disciples, the perseverance of them uh, seeing things through at the outset... And then the disciples increasing the same thing where we're going to see things through, understanding that God has called us all into ministry. Not only that, but we see the, 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 the word of God is increasing. The disciples are multiplying. The priests are becoming obedient. Uh, I mean, that in of itself is kind of a crazy thought. So wrap your head around this. Get this, loved ones, right here. People did... This group of believers did what God called them to do. Nothing more, nothing less. 
Here's what God told us to do. Specifically, here's what he told me to do. And they did it. And people got saved. Uh, People were changed. Uh, People were matured. Uh, People were sanctified. And the gospel went forward. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Ministry.